Hello, we have another Squire talk. Um, and Avera, I forgot to tell you, these are for our parents um, in our Tyler Catholic Schools community. Uh, so I'm just, I don't know, raising kids is hard. I'm a nun and I know raising kids is hard. Uh, <laughs> so these talks have just been about um, trying to offer parents discussions that may help them to think about things that are going on in the lives of their children, in the lives of their children's friends, et cetera. Because one of the beautiful things about Tyler, Texas, I'm growing, I'm a Texan, and people are gonna give me a hard time for this. East Texas sometimes feels like another country. Like, <laughs> people are calling me love and baby doll and all these yes. things. Yes, um, like you can be at Dollar General minding your merry black business and they'll just, the clerk will just be like, how you doing, sweet bee? Like, how, like, how you doing? I feel like, like I'm home, about to get a home cooked meal. Yes. And I'm just trying to check out my groceries. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to replenish my electrolytes with the calories. I wasn't building my network. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just checking out for groceries. That's real. It is. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a culture I've been learning East Texas. But one thing is like, it's a very close-knit community, which is beautiful. The community of Tyler Catholic Schools is really like a family so like whatever's going on with this family's kids, in a sense, it's going on with all the kids. Um, sure. And so I love that about this community. And so anyway, this is for, Squire Talks is for just trying to bring conversations to the community from trusted folks in the church and different areas of profession who can maybe help our families out as they try to raise these kids and raise sure. them. So I'm going to open up yes. our and then I'm going to introduce you, and I'm so excited, and we're about to have so much fun. It's going to be so good. <laughs> okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks for this, your daughter, Avera. What a gift you have given to us in this church, a needed gift um, in this time, a great gift, Lord. I ask your blessing on this conversation uh, that we will bring up and speak of what is your will that we will be attentive to the Holy Spirit um, for the glory of your son. I ask your continued blessings on the community of Tyler Catholic Schools. May our gifts be strengthened and any weaknesses, anything that is not of you, Heavenly Father, cast it out, Lord. Uh, let us grow in you and let us grow according to your will. And we ask all these things through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, this Squire talk is going to be called Raising Kids Who Experience Same-Sex Attraction. That's going to be the title of it. All of our talks have this Raising Kids in the front. Mm -hmm. And Vera, this is a Vera who we have with us, a Vera Maria Santos is her name. Yeah. <laughs> and Avera is from originally from Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. She is now in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, through the influence of a common friend of ours who can be very influential. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so now she's studying theology in Baton Rouge, missing the Alabama beaches. Uh, Avera, I am. <laughs> Avera, already at the age of 24, is a national speaker. Um, on many topics, basically on Jesus, but specifically on same-sex attraction, race identity, racism, 
witness and she enjoys talking to youth and young adults but really really loves adults which i told yeah. her like me I this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this is my yeah. favorite demographic it really is like it's i think it's interesting because there is a bit of a divide there you know where um a lot of adults might say like okay what does this 24 year old child mm. <laughs> basically have to say to me that can be of any value mm. um and so it's kind of um upon me to kind of bridge that gap in a sense um but i think it's it's super interesting to have like a a cross-generational um embrace you know in a cross-generational community like in my theology classes my school actually uh, does the diaconate formation for the diocese wow. so a lot of my theology classes um include the deacon candidates um so like in my class tonight i have three deacon candidates in my class around with i i think i might be the only theology major in that particular class and then there's like some other people mostly like nursing majors um that are in there but it's just so nice to be able to like have our little deacon dads we call them our deacon dads um, <laughs> and uh to have them and then the other students as well uh, because you get two very different sides of a a, a marvelous story uh, where we're just trying to learn more about christ and it's so fascinating to see like you know the younger students versus the uh the deacon candidates and what wisdom we all bring uh to conversations and all that so i love this demographic so much high school kids though like they they make me they make my my blood pressure rise especially because i was a high school kid like six years ago so i know exactly. like when a student when a, when a speaker comes in i know like you shut down like you don't give a crap type of thing you're just kind of sitting there very stoic like okay <laughs> what's she gonna say now i didn't heard all exactly. that before yeah. exactly. so i know when i'm walking into therefore the nerves are already through the roof type of thing so. okay we'll have to help each other get comfortable more comfortable yes. with each of our trigger groups i just want to thank you i think you're i know i don't think i know you're going to be a gift to our community in this conversation we're going to have about uh, kids who experience same-sex attraction and, you know, um, members in our church who experience same-sex attraction. And so we kind of talked in advance about where we would go on this conversation, but also want to be, you know, faithful to the Holy Spirit, wherever the Holy Spirit leads us. So I just wanted to talk about, like, you're in, we, anyone who knows you knows that you and your ministry are open that you experience same-sex attraction or have, right? For sure. And, you've done just this, you've been on this beautiful journey with integrating that with your faith. And I think that you're an inspiration and a light in the church. And so what I kind of would love for you to share with our parents is your experience growing up and coming into awareness that your predominant sexual attraction was to the same sex. Uh, yeah. About what age were you? What support did you receive? What helped and what didn't help? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to say, and actually the story has changed since I first came into ministry, because yeah. I know that, um, you know, as, as children, 
if something like really traumatic happens, um, we tend to be very good at like blocking those memories, you know, like we try to like suppress those, those things. And ultimately we can forget if something traumatic happens to us, um, and still carry that trauma within us, you know, but just like forget the memories or like where it came from or these types of things. Um, so I believe (laughs) at least right now, from what I can remember, I was around 13, um, 12 or 13 years old when I first started having more so a sexual attraction towards other women. I do remember, um, having a very, um, like a very almost compulsive or just this, I had a third grade teacher who she was so artistic, so loving, so nurturing, had this marvelous voice. Like she was such a, a gifted singer and artist. And I was so drawn to her at the time. And I thought it was just because like, I wanted to be like her so much. Mm-hmm. And I look back on it now and I just kind of wonder like, was that the, st- the start of it? You know, was that the start of something or like, was that kind of a, a symptom of it? Um, so again, I, I, do, I don't really know. Um, but I will say, I do know that there was a point in time in my life where I did not know that two men or two women being in a sexual relationship was a thing. Um, so I definitely kind of grew into it. Whereas other people, like I have uh, close friends of mine who cannot remember a time when they weren't attracted to the same sex. So my story is a little bit different in that regard that I vividly remember a time when it was boys and strictly boys for me. I was even labeled like boy crazy um, for much of my life. So, um, even when I was experiencing this, of course, like my boy craziness kind of went to a higher level uh, because, you know, I didn't want anybody to know, <laughs> you know, so I was I was hiding and suppressing a lot um, because I was embarrassed. You know, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. Um, I didn't know what was really going on, especially because, you know, I grew up in Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I like pre-K all the way through 12th grade. And now I'm at a, a Catholic university, um, after spending some time at, a, at two separate public, uh, colleges where, you know, it was, I, I was ashamed, you know, I thought that there was something wrong with me or worse it just kind of depended on the day of what I thought about it Wor- worst case scenario I thought that I was being punished mm. um, and that God hated me. you know uh, that I was I did something so horrible that God was like punishing me or that you know it was just this uh, like I was this terrible person um, and there was just something so wrong there was something so um, something so evil about me that, uh, you know, it just transpired into this sexual desire to be with intimate with women. Um, and it scared me, you know, especially as a kid, you know, I'm, I really made my faith my own around my sophomore year of high school. Um, actually at a, at a big like youth retreat, which was absolutely incredible. I really loved it. Um, but that same day, one of the girls that I was super close with, that was in my, my youth group with me, um, 
basically like, came out to me and said that she didn't want to go to confession because she was embarrassed to say that she had had a sexual encounter with a girl. Okay. Um, and she didn't want to confess that because she thought that the priest was going to judge her. And like she and I, over the course of that summer, ended up getting really, really close to the point where I wanted more from our relationship. You know, like I wanted to be close to her and a lot, that ended up transpiring into, I wanted to have sex with her. Um, I thought that that was the way um, to get close to her um, and to have like this deep intimacy that I just really longed for, even that young, you know, even at the age of like 16 going on 17 years old, um, I knew I wanted that. and it, that just felt like the way to get it, you know? And she wasn't the only one, like there were plenty of girls after her. Um, and like, I still experience the same sex attraction to this day, you know? Like, it, I mean, it, I, it's been well over a decade probably. And I, it's still, it's still like pretty constant thing in my life that it's, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily battle. Um, and it can be exceedingly difficult and seem so incredibly hopeless, Mm. Um, especially in light of, you know, like church teaching and the church inviting me into this beautiful and chaste uh, loving relationship um, with other women, with men, you know, like like chastity is, is kind of demanded of us uh, by the church, by Christ across the board. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, but chastity, I think, especially when the world around me is telling me that the only way that I will be ever be close and have that intimate, um, those intimate desires met by another person will be if I'm sexually intimate with a woman. Um, it's, it feels like a hopeless pursuit, you know, a lot of times because, um, that's just something that I can't have because there's no end to that. You know, like there's no, um, end in the natural order. There's no end toward the good, um, in that relationship, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't what God orchestrated, uh, friendship to be. It wasn't what God orchestrated sex to be it wasn't what god orchestrated marriage to be so obviously if it's not god ordained um it's not good exactly it's like we have you know sin entered the world in the garden along with death yeah absolutely is life and yes. contrary to god's order is death it's death <laughs> no it's essentially death it's um, and it feels like that. It it really does. It feels like just a constant um, death, you know, just kind of walking around, um, not really, not really knowing how to um, how to move on from that, how to live with it, how to struggle past certain things. Um, it just gets hard. Like point blank period is just difficult, um, and. There, there's so much freedom in what God has given me as this alternate path, you know, as this way to enter into chastity, embrace chastity, to embrace life mm-hmm. um, and life that comes directly from him, who is the source and summit of all of our life. Um, 
but again, like, I'm not going to lie to you. It is, it's difficult to get there. Um, especially if you're as stubborn as I am. And, uh, <laughs> so that type of thing. Um, yeah. but I mean, it can just be plain difficult at times. Yeah. I do want to tell you the 12 is the average age, average reported age of first time feeling sexually attracted and knowing to the same sex, like clinically speaking, yeah. I look at research or whatever, 12 is the average age. Um, yeah. And so you talked, I mean, you've talked about how hard the road was. And I, and I like that you, I like that you bring that theme of death in, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, I just think it's so important that we don't make light of it. Like that the experience of same-sex attraction places a person on a road to, like you're saying, a life of celibacy, right? Yeah. This, becomes your, this becomes what you're striving for. And um I'm, I'm a celibate person, right? Priests are mm -hmm. celibate, but we're doing that in the context of like community life or the priesthood. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't have that context necessarily yet, you know, you yeah. don't know, you know, but like. For a lot of like priests and religious, um, it's a choice. Right. <laughs> you know, celibacy right. is a choice. Right. Granted, for me, um, I might not be given that option, <laughs> you know, and, and you said that a, uh, for a lot of people, this road does ultimately lead to celibacy in some regard. Um, I don't know if that's the case uh, for at least for me, because I still want to be married one day. Actually, um, I would love to be married to a man. I would love to be um, I would love to be a mom. Uh, but at the same time, I do have to realize that um, you know, and again, th this kind of goes into a whole other conversation on what is love? Like, how can a person experience like pleasure and intimacy or like, what is the purpose of pleasure in the place of, of marital relations in the place of sex? Like, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but, you know, these are conversations that do need to be had of like, you know, I, I find it difficult to say that I would want to put my my husband through a situation where he like he knows that he gives me almost no <laughs> you know like no pleasure by being with me type of thing but i don't think that that's necessarily something that i would struggle with but there's a very real struggle um for plenty of people out there who do have to who do have to kind of face that like come face to face with the fact that they just have no desire to be in that form of relationship with a person of the opposite sex. Um, that is a very real struggle and a very real fear, I think, for a lot of people. And on the flip side, I think for me, the very real fear um, is the sense that, oh, how is my husband going to respond, you know, to that? Especially like if you're looking at our hypersexualized culture, um, like it's it's scary because I guess as a woman, I feel kind of this this uh, pressure to perform, you know, a certain way. And even like I feel like a lot of times we dismiss this and people younger than like marrying age, like they're not thinking about these kinds of things. I was absolutely thinking about these things as a kid, you know, like how like I want to be married, but like is my husband going to leave me? because of this this and this like am i going to be abandoned over something that i have little to no control over mm -hmm. you know that ultimately is i think the greatest place of my own fear um and where my fear is stemmed from is 
is X, Y, or Z going to happen because of this, which I have no control over, yeah. you know, and I have had plenty of things in my life happen because of this. And again, I have no control over it. I did not wake up one morning and choose to be attracted to women. Like it just didn't happen like that. Yeah. So you it's a very real really beautiful point that like, A, I don't know if as a church we're asking questions like that, like what would a marriage yeah. look like for someone? For sure. How do we expand? We learned this in school, like expanding the sense of intimacy. So like in school, you learn all kinds of therapies. And if a couple presents and they're having struggles from an intimacy perspective, the general treatment for that is to expand their sense of intimacy. Yeah. And so that's, that's an approach in therapy. And so we don't ask those kind of questions in the church. You're right. That mm -hmm. like marriage is still a possibility for someone who's same sex attractive, but intimacy might need to look different. And that, yeah. you know that that union can still be fruitful and bear children. But that's just something I don't think I've ever heard spoken yeah. in the context of answering the reality of same-sex attraction as a church so thank you for bringing yeah. that up of I just course. I want to know can you talk about some like what happened in your journey for you I call it integration right that you were mm -hmm. here as you are a Vera you know and you were bringing sure. your true self to this call and your true self to the church and thank God you know and that's that's what I call integration you're just here mm -hmm. as you are and serving as a gift and so I guess what did the journey look like for you to come to that place of integration where you could say, yes, I experience same-sex attraction every day. Yes, mm -hmm. it's a struggle, but I'm trying to be a Catholic woman of God. And I mean, mm -hmm. how did you do that, especially in response to the culture? Yeah, um, a lot of hell and high water, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> I think I definitely made it a lot more difficult for myself at times. And I still do make things difficult for myself because I'm hard-headed, I'm stubborn, like, like these sorts of things. So, I mean, I definitely make it harder um, on myself. But I think that what has brought me a great deal of, of peace and which has been like a, a point of, um, where I've received a lot of grace um, is the very point of how lost I've often felt, um, especially because of my same-sex attractions. But again, like also because of things like race, you know, like where is my place in the church as an African-American individual, you know, or as a, as a person who uh, is African-American, that type of thing. Um, so there's a lot of points in my life where I've just come up feeling so lost. Um, and I actually had a, a spiritual father of mine, a dear friend of mine, um, tell me actually fairly recently, he said that it is the privilege and the luxury of lost souls to be sought out by the good shepherd. Mm. Um, so like if you really meditate on the, the parable of the lost sheep, um, you know, Christ leaves behind the 99 who are, you know, in, in perfect position, you know, for, uh, for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. And he goes out of his way, uh, goes through the depths, like travels into the depths of night into all the places of, of fear, of trial, of tribulation, and seeks out mm -hmm. that one lost sheep. Um, and it was so uh, revealing for me to kind of hear him say that, that it is the privilege uh, and the luxury of lost souls 
uh, to be sought out by the Good Shepherd. Um, and I feel like I've spent so much of my life lost um, in relation to myself because, you know, all these paths are, are open and uh, admittedly the, uh, the path toward the life of, in the LGBTQ community is incredibly attractive um, for different reasons. You know, you're almost assured community, you're assured friendships, you're assured a quick fix on what it is that you want. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of times, and, and always, that's not always the case, but uh, it's definitely quicker, a quicker fix than uh, the, the grace that might come from celibacy, you know, or, or any of these things, because man, God will give you grace, but he won't give it to you early. Um, <laughs> type of thing where like part of it is just <laughs> yes, like part of it is just it's struggle you know part of it uh is just it, part of every christian life and i would say the majority of all christian life is carrying the cross mm. you know and this is definitely a point of of suffering of struggle of really having that cross bear down on you um but in that, too, I think is this place of hope, again, because you're assured, um, you're assured the love and being sought out by the Good Shepherd, right? That calling out to him and calling the name Jesus, uh, I, I can't remember where I heard this or who said it, but that, um, what is it, the, the name of Jesus is the only name that is pregnant with his presence, um, like the very action of calling out his name is calling down, um, and calling into our own consciousness because he's always with us. Right. Um, but just for us to be able to tangibly say and speak that name is a place where, um, we are calling into our own minds. Like we're becoming more aware of the fact that Jesus, the good shepherd, um, is present, you know, is, um, actively in pursuit mm. of us, you know, and it, in reality has already found us. Um, and it's just kind of waiting for us to stop struggling, you know, to stop squirming in his arm and just kind of let him um, take all of our brokenness, let him take all of our woundedness and let him put us on his shoulders um, and carry us back uh, to where we belong. Yeah. Um, interesting, Avera. I hear in you, I guess, I don't know. I hear in you a real concrete like acceptance and a not glossing over struggle. At yeah. the same time, I hear a hint. Tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like I can count on you to tell me if I'm wrong. I hear a hint of gratitude mm -hmm. in a sense it's been a way for you to know God. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. as you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know how in scripture it'll say we're the apple of God's eye. Mm -hmm. One of my sisters who studies Hebrew, she says it's wrong. It's a wrong, it's not a proper translation. She mm -hmm. says more proper is to say the little man in God's eye. That God's eye is so fixed on you that you've become a reflection. A reflection. Wow. And no, that's not immediately gratifying. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. But there's two questions I have. One, I, you can decide which order you answer them in, or you could pick one and not the other. Uh -huh. I remember you wrote a post to Father James Martin and you were mm -hmm. like, you're hurting me. <laughs> you're hurting yeah. me. Yeah. 
I love it. So I just, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about that. And then I also want to ask you, why did you choose? What was the reason you said, I'm not going to go do the LGBTQ thing? Yeah. What was the reason? Yeah. Those two questions. Let me, I have to, I might have to turn my camera like that because my phone is about to die. Okay. So, <laughs> so let me grab. Yeah. I, so in response to Father Martin specifically, um, I didn't know much about who he was, but I knew that he was basically lying to people, mm. um, whether, whether he knew it or not. And um, like I said, I have never met Father Martin. I have never spoken with Father Martin. Um, so I know people, like I had a spiritual director um, that sp actually spoke with him one time, and then we talked about it in spiritual direction. And um, I think it's important for people to realize that this man is a human being. Um, he is a priest and is a priest forever. You know, um, and, but I think what we need to do is realize that no priest is perfect. You know, like there, there's been Jesus and that's it. As far as perfect people. The high priest. Your bishop is not the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. Like this is so important for us to remember. But at the same time, I felt that coming from my perspective, it was important for me to call out what I was seeing because essentially what Father Martin is suggesting is that uh, first and foremost, that sin can be blessed, you know, that sin can be okay. Mm. Um, and that, you know, a person living in sin, um, shouldn't be, uh, I don't, a person living in sin shouldn't be corrected. Um, there is a loving way to do that. And there are probably plenty of people on the other side that I should call out as well um, for not loving people, um, or not speaking truth in a way that is loving and in a way that is charitable. Um, there's plenty of people doing that as well, but like wanting someone to stay in the church um, like for numbers reasons or whatever, or like wanting, a, like wanting people to stay, um, and then going so far as to lie to them in order to get them to stay, that's not correct either. And like I said, there is no good end to same sex, like relationships in that regard. Um, there is only death at the end of that. There's only and always just going to be death at the end of that. Again, because it was not what God intended um, for the human person. It just wasn't. Um, so to try and insinuate that it is, or to try and impose our will on God, um, who is infinitely greater and infinitely better than us, um, is going to end in our demise every time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know? <laughs> to say it actually even more broad, any mm -hmm. sexual acts outside of marriage are not exactly. what Exactly. Something only yeah. towards people who experience same-sex attraction. Sex is reserved for marriage. Yes. So so I, I've made an example before. 
that there are plenty of confessionals in the world that I can go into and basically get discriminated against because of my, uh, because of my particular attractions. So prime example, I go in or, or like a man goes into the confessional and he says, father, forgive me for I have sinned. I slept with a woman who was not my wife. That is sex outside of marriage. (laughs) He slept with a woman who was not his wife. So the priest, you know, like says, this isn't right. You know, you shouldn't do this. You might need to seek like counseling with your wife, tell your wife, you know, you have this and this penance type of thing. And then he, he goes about his business. I go into that same confessional and say, forgive me, father, for I have sinned. I slept with a woman Who's not my wife? <laughs> who's not my wife? Um, and who cannot be my wife because, again, she's a woman, you know, and God ordained a marriage to be between one man and one woman. So I slept with a woman who's not my wife. And then he's like, Well, you're same sex attraction. You can't control that. You know, like you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, How is that fair? And like, not, how and is that right? He denies you the sacrifices, yes. which is yes. brave. This is yeah. Yeah. And I have actually had that happen to me before. I have had this happen to me where I was denied. (laughs) um, Like I was in the confessional and I, I forget what I said at the time, but he denied me because he was like, you know what? That's not a bad thing. You know, like, I'm not even going to give you a penance. I'm going to give you a penitential reflection. I was like, like, what is that? But that has happened, you know, and I, I was in a position where I knew church teaching and I was satisfied with them. And I knew that it was coming from a place of love, that the church loved me, that Christ loved me, and that these teachings were there for good and willed my good. Hmm. But I felt bad for the person who might have come in after me that didn't have that same faith, that didn't have that same trust, and could have been done right by this priest and was unfortunately blatantly lied to was led by a person who they should have trusted with their life yeah. basically led you know death. yeah um I want to and you said like uh will my good I teach the kids that as early as fourth grade I'm trying to help them understand love is willing the good of the other yes. and this is why God is love he wills our mm-hmm. ultimate good to be with yes. him to be saints you just see their mm-hmm. faces drop when they realize love is not you know, the butterflies in my feeling. (laughs) Love is the cross. Like the love is the cross. Um, Love is being stripped of all the butterflies and like all that stuff. Like love is, what is it? Um, the, the word mercy, which I think is like, it's love in its greatest and highest form. Mm-hmm. Uh, that word misericordia, I think means, um, love in the face of the miserable. Um, and I think like when we're at our lowest, um, and especially like Christ's example on the cross, that is the most profound expression of love, like the highest form that we have. Um, so when you were talking earlier about, um, you know, what it might be like for me, um, to be married, um, that is what I should be thinking about. Like, not will this man be able to sexually please me or not vice versa, will I be able to sexually please him? It is, 
are we willing to go to the cross for each other? <laughs> you know, like, am I willing to lay my life down for this man? And in turn, is he willing to lay his life down for me? That's the question that I want answered. And that's the question that I want answered yes to. Like, is this man willing? Like, yes. Then he's somebody that I know I can spend the rest of my life. You have a sacramental marriage that isn't about yeah. isn't have as its foundation. It, your sacramental marriage has as its foundation the cross, not mm -hmm. sex. Yes. And you yeah. know, I am. Um, I'm not gonna. I'll just be honest. I struggle with suffering when people are like, like sisters who choose as their final vows mystery to crucify Christ. I'm like, like I need, <laughs> I need the glorified. He's in the cloud. I've always struggled. I've always struggled. But then it was last year, my retreat last year. I finally, for the first time in my life, could look at a crucifix and only see love. And mm. when I came to understand that like God could have done anything with that cross, but the love yeah. was so great that he put his divinity. It's like, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a paradox because he yes. put his divinity aside because the love was so great, but he, the love was so great because of his divinity. divinity. <laughs> yes, And so it, it was like, this is love. That's all yeah. that here is love. Be, and it's like, when you look at the cross like that, it's like you almost don't even see the suffering anymore. You just see the love. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hear when you speak. Like you're speaking of a cross, but you're speaking of a hope. And so it's this paradox that ultimately is hope. Ultimately yeah, is hope. absolutely. And that's like, that would be like the main thing that I would want to tell people is that, you know, especially when it's, when it's kids that we're talking about. Um, and we, we talked about this a little bit beforehand. I think it is so easy, not just for kids, but especially kids. Um, I think it is so easy for us as a people in this time, in this place to lose hope. Yeah. You know, like we will be so immersed in the pain of Good Friday that Easter Sunday is lost on us in a sense. Yeah, you know, like we need to be able to celebrate and to see and experience in our humanity, you know, in our being, um, we need to experience the whole thing, you know, like we need to experience the suffering and we need to experience the laying down of our lives and we need to experience um, that aspect of Christ. But in that, you know, you can't separate the crucifixion from Christ, but you also can't separate his resurrection from him either, you know? And that is the part where I just, you know, like, uh, I think it was Pope John Paul II who says, we are an Easter people and hallelujah is our song. You know, like the moment we forget that, that we are an Easter people, that we are a people who are actively striving for the resurrection, um, like that's when we lose hope, you know, like that's when none of this makes sense because trust and believe like as a, like coming from a person who deals with this on a daily basis. Um, if I lose sight of the resurrection, even for a minute, even for like half a second, it's over for me. <laughs> like it's done, you know, like I'm just, I'm out of it. I'm completely and utterly just like, 
I feel awful, like nothing makes sense. I'm just like, well, I might as well do X, Y, and Z because I'm screwed otherwise, you know, type of thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like this is all that I have and I might as well like squeeze a little bit of happiness um, out of it. And trust me, there is plenty of like very superficial happiness um, that comes with living that lifestyle. Like I'm not about to lie to you. There is happiness there. Why do you think so many people do it? You know, but at the same time, you know, we're made for joy. And can there be an experience of happiness in that? Absolutely. But I've also heard, I can't remember what saint said it, but they said that Christ on the cross was a joyful man. Um, so if we can experience joy both in the sorrows of life and in the heights. Like if we don't experience joy in the valleys and at the, at the mountaintops, you know, you cut yourself off from both in a sense. I think uh, Sister um, Aletheia is the death nun. What is her name? <laughs> I forget how to say her name, but I know exactly who you're talking about when you say the I, death I think it's Sister <laughs> Aletheia or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember her name. But she, in one of her like memento mori, like the Lenten companions, one of the things that she wrote was, if you look at it, the three principal apostles, P Peter, James, and John, um, they fell asleep in two places. If you look at it, they fell asleep at the garden of Gethsemane. Of course, like when Jesus was going through this, this trial. So they fell asleep when he was suffering, but it's only mentioned, I think in one of the gospels, but they also fell asleep at the Mount of the resurrection. I mean, not the Mount of the resurrection, the Mount of the transfiguration. transfiguration. Yeah. So they fell asleep at this moment of great pain and sorrow for him, but they also fell asleep at this amount of great joy as well. So if you cut yourself off to one, you cut yourself off to both. Yeah. And I've been feeling like the ramifications of that in my own life and in my own spiritual journey as of late of just realizing that like I've feared pain so much that when these really joyful things come, that I can't like enter in. Like I was at a wedding a few months ago and like my friend, my dear friend, Father Ryan, he was like, Avera, you're dancing with me. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, also, like I, I genuinely, like I ran away from him, <laughs> like ran away. But I genuinely feared dancing. And Henry Nowen, I think in The Return of the Prodigal Son, his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, he says that, you know, we run away as humans, we run away from crying, from mourning, and we also run away from dancing. Um, so he says, let us mourn, let us dance, like, let us do both, uh, because both are important to the human experience. Uh, we can't, unfortunately, when we cut ourselves off, you know, use your language, when we numb, we don't get <laughs> So yeah. I don't get to select which, what's yeah. cut off. I just cut off. Mm -hmm. So like, how much do you want to pay? You know? Yeah, that is, that is a dangerous way to live a human life because it cuts, your, it cuts you off from living an authentic human life. It really does. From the humanity. Okay, Avera, I just want you to close us, close with just, I guess, a couple tips to parents trying to raise these kids. <laughs> yeah. What are your um, parents? 
I guess my first piece of advice would be, especially like if your if your child comes to you and says, you know, like I'm gay, I'm a lesbian, I'm this and that, don't panic. <laughs> you know, like don't panic. I've had plenty of parents come to me and be like, I lost it. I, I'm sorry, like I just I lost it. Um, don't don't panic. Um, especially because like listen. Um, at the end of the day, these are still our kids, you know, and at the end of the day, kids struggle with so much. There's so much going on. And um, so often, you know, we just want to be wrapped in a hug from our parents, you know, or just just have so, some somebody to tell us that we're loved um, and all these things. Um, the, I think the second most important thing is to really emphasize um, in our own lives and the lives of our children and in our households, the unfathomable love and mercy of Christ. Um, because this, a Christian life makes zero sense unless we know that we're loved by God and that he desires intimate friendship with us. Mm. Um, nothing else, uh, like any, if we try to build off of anything else, it's not going to make any sense. And ultimately it's going to crumble and fail. Um, and the third part, especially for, for parents, is that I, I will be straight up with you. Your kids have a far sharper no BS meter than you think that they have. So your kids, your kids are watching you. Um, like your kids are watching how you encounter Christ, um, how you uh live as though Christ loves you or if you don't like if you don't live like that so if you're telling them oh Christ loves you or oh this or oh that but you don't live it yourself I guarantee you they are not going to believe it because they're watching what you do not just what you say so that monkey see monkey do type thing like be vigilant of how you are living your life um, be vigilant of how you are living um, the mystery of Christ and his church in yourself, um, because that's what we're paying attention to. Um, and that's what we're ultimately going to learn and be catechized from, you know, so much of this catechesis starts in the home. And I mean, what we learn from home is what we carry out into the world with us. So it's important for us, like, I'm not a parent, but for you as parents um, to live that because that's what we're watching and that's what we're seeing and that's what we're going to take in. Avera, thank you. I'm going to pray. You. <laughs> People, I just can't, I don't, I don't have enough words. So I'm going to pray because uh, I don't have enough words to thank you. I'm just going to pray. Okay. <laughs> I just, I want to close this to say that, um, for my prayer is two things is one, I think you young lady are bathed in the resurrection, truly, <laughs> truly just covered in the resurrection. Um, mm. When I think about the resurrection, sometimes I see it as like extending from the tomb and just trying to spread through the world, covering mm -hmm. the world um, with the glory of the resurrection. And so it's definitely reached you. <laughs> it definitely has reached you. So mm. thank you. And um, just also, you know, for us to um, take back intimacy from this mm -hmm. culture um, and really focus our minds on the ultimate intimacy, which is the love and the relationship that we have with God, that constant relationship. And so I'm going to close this in prayer, just asking for that for all of us, for our community in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks in this Easter season uh, for the gift of the resurrection. 
Lord, increase our faith, increase our hope, and increase our love uh, so that we can be an Easter people and share the Easter truth um, that we are redeemed. Heavenly Father, help us to rely more and more on, on intimacy with you. Help us to trust, Lord, that we will be fulfilled in you um, and that one day we will be with you in heaven uh, where every tear will be dried from our eyes. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, for being your children. We give you thanks for your mindfulness of us. We give you thanks for your son, our shepherd, our high priest. We give you thanks for the Eucharist so that we may know you and go closer to you in our flesh. We give you thanks for your ever-present spirit, all of the saints, all of, of the Blessed Virgin, Heavenly Father, for this church and these sacraments. I ask your continued blessing on the gift of your daughter, Avera. Thank you, Lord, for her in this church. Help her light to continue to shine as far as it would be your will. And I ask your blessing on this Tyler Catholic Schools community. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Amen. <laughs>